Hi, I'm Will Schofield, a young film programmer at Film East, and I'm joined by my fellow programmers Shelby Cook, Sarah Lapanova, and Alex Smith, here to discuss the trio of time-travelling, totally tubular tales that make up the Bill and Ted franchise. That's Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and Bill and Ted Face the Music. This segment is part of Film East, a Norwich-based young film programmers group, supported by Real Connections and Film Hub Southeast. The Bill and Ted franchise is a trio of films written by Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon, set around lovable high school losers Bill and Ted, played by Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves. The pair struggle in life, love, and the knowledge that their abysmal rock band is destined to unite the universe in peace and harmony sometime in the distant future. The third film was released last year in 2020, marking an almost 30-year gap since the release of its predecessor. Because of this, we thought it would be interesting to discuss the various changes that have appeared within that hiatus. So, what did uh, what did you guys think of the films, um, like in, in general? I found them endearing. Um, I don't <laughs> think I would have watched them had you not suggested them um, for one of these recordings. Um, and I really didn't realize how much of like a cult following was behind these films. I've never heard of them in my life. I had no idea what you were on about. Who's Bill and Ted? I don't know. <laughs> but I found them really, I especially loved the second one. I don't know what it was about the second one, but it was just so endearing. And they were just really sweet in the second one and like mm. massive himbos. It's <laughs> just really great. <laughs> and, you know, they're like fun, fun, like movies to watch. And I can see why they're like cult classics and why, a lot of people have nostalgic feelings around them. Mm. Yeah, I kind of feel the same. So I've never heard of them before either. Um, and it's definitely not something that I would have chosen to watch myself. But um, yeah, I think although I've never seen them before, they, they did have that kind of nostalgic feeling to them. I guess it's just because of like when they were filmed and the kind of um, effects they use and the kind of, um, yeah, like f- focus on friendship and focus on like really bad um what do you call it? CGI. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and I like how they kept that in the third one as well, because obviously the third one was made a lot more recently, uh, mm. but they kept the same kind of bad effects in that. And I think that was quite cute, um, just that they stuck with that vibe. Well, um, I watched them for the first time when I was quite young. My dad showed it to me, me and my sister quite a lot. So uh, I've got a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in them. And when you suggested them, I hadn't seen seen them in a few years and it was quite exciting because I was like, oh yeah, I get to go and watch Bill and Ted. Like it's been so long and it was really exciting and cute and nice and relaxing. And it was just, it was a lovely evening, honestly. It, <laughs> it was just, they're good films. They're easy to watch and they're just nice. Yeah. That's well that's very reassuring to hear because I have shown them to a lot of friends and I've gotten very mixed reactions from people before <laughs> it's like um they're they're very much not for everyone and I usually get um well like you as her said shall we have the second one was your favorite one um people everyone seems to have a different kind of favorite one but I think um endearing and nostalgic um the kind of words that you guys said are the perfect terms to kind of in my opinion just uh, cover them um do you think that they uh, in particular the first two have aged well you know I was thinking about this I mean the first one I didn't really see any issues with the first one to me felt like those I don't know if maybe this is just like an American thing but like those really bad like educational videos that you had to watch in school when like the teacher would wheel in the tv and they would <laughs> put this the, the VHS in and be like these terrible like 
cringy like educational boost and that's what it reminded me of because it is like kind of like an educational movie like it teaches you about history and so like that one I I think felt perfectly fine and it's in its own little bubble because it kind of reminds you of that like oh when you're in school and you watch these educational videos and it really felt like an 80s movie um and I you know it, it feel like it captured that sort of like it captured a moment in time but it's still sort of like universal enough that it's still relevant like it still is interesting enough to watch in you know 2021 the second one I think particularly with the bad Bill and Ted I had some issues with you know and but that's it was meant to be that way because they were the bad bad versions of them Um, but I also think that having those bad versions of them that were kind of quite rude to the women and kind of a little creepy uh made the uh, the real Bill and Ted just more endearing and just made you like them more. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, um, yeah, there was a, one specific line um, that was around uh, sexuality. Um, and that really, when I heard that, it really took me out of the film. And I was like, oh, no, you know. Um, so with, with the women, I agree with Shelby. I think that was very much like, oh, um, it's not something that I enjoy to watch, but I don't think it was reflective of the film or the, the filmmakers views. It was just to show those characters as really bad. But with the, the sexuality one, I found it, yeah, a little bit harder to, to see through that and to then enjoy the film after that. It took me out of it a bit. Uh, yeah, no, I, I absolutely um, agree with that. I think for the most part, they, I think as you said in kind of the first, with the first question, they're very cute and quaint and very 80s um, in the way that they've evolved. But, uh, and like looking back on them, they're just a lot of fun, but there are aspects, I did say, that have not aged well. And I imagine, I, I do feel like it's not necessarily faults of them, more kind of the climate, like the gay jokes and the kind of uh, assault stuff. It wasn't Bill and Ted specific. It's more that kind of genre of teenage stoner humor almost. Yeah, um, I think that was the issue with it. I think when when that line was said, it was supposed to be funny. Yeah. Um, mm. was kind of the issue with it there. It wasn't something that the film was reflecting on. It was kind of used as a humour uh, device, which, I yeah, I didn't really gel with it. <laughs> um, absolutely, yeah. Um, kind of talking about um, the stuff that may not have aged particularly well, uh, both the first and third films revolve around the characters gathering notable figures from history. Um, did you have any thoughts about the specific figures that were chosen in either? I didn't really think about it until I saw you put this question in and I was like, definitely mm. the third one is a lot more diverse. <laughs> the first one very much conforms to that, you know, the white man writes history and it's majority of, you know, Western white um quote-unquote geniuses from history um they do throw Joan of Arc in there so they do put a woman in there um but they also you know they have Genghis Khan who is a bit you know not you know represented as in a not a very particularly being the only sort of minority type of character he's not represented in the best way um but then obviously in the third film um with Jimi Hendrix and Louis Armstrong who are really influential black musicians and part of black history and are really big um, milestones within cultural psyche of minorities and blackness. Um, and then also putting um, Ling Loon, is that her, how to say your name? Um, I think so. Yeah, um, the woman that plays the flute um, 
but yeah, including those sort of more diverse characters is so much more important because history, obviously from a Western perspective, history is written by white men, but all of the world isn't made up of white men. So how can you just say history is just these white figures? Yeah, I think that, yeah, as you said, with the third having better representation as well. And I think having the Bill and Ted kind of realize that although it's very cheesy, uh, you know, kind of reminds me of Cast Free as well, when Lighting McQueen is just like, it's my, it's my time is done and I need to give this over to younger, the younger generation and to the female generation as well. So quite like that they've done that, although, yeah, it was corny, but I could appreciate that the message of the old white men kind of stepping down and being like, okay, we just need to support our daughters and support the women. I think these films work for corniness though like they're built they're built for it like it's not surprising when it is and it's part of the endearing quality so they they know what they can do when they go with it and that's just being cheesy and a bit oh that's interesting and weird but they can get away with it. I think one thing that um is quite interesting is uh with as you said with uh Ling Loon I think now I, I could be completely wrong about this but I think like they are kind of a mythical figure in Chinese history and oh. typically they're kind of depicted as uh, a man um so I feel the choice I this I mean this is I, I could be again I could be wrong about this but um I think that the choice to have them as a woman is quite a, a specific one um particularly when you compare it to like uh the first movie with Joan of Arc a character who said I don't think they had any lines um which brings pretty squarely on actually to the next question what did you think of the um the female characters in each film and how they kind of evolved across them I was so surprised when the Bill and Ted babies became daughters because <laughs> obviously the second the end of the second film they introduced the babies and they just call them oh this is little Bill and this is little Ted uh but they're actually in the uh, third movie come out to be daughters and um, the one daughter is um, non-binary. So she, or they um, have this aspect of very modern queerness and acceptance. And again, very diverse in a way of creating something that perhaps is like such a cult classic. And the idea with cult classics is that they tend to fear on this sort of white man um, sort of archetype and then to completely subvert that and put it towards um, this very non-binary and female driven story I thought was was so interesting I wasn't expecting it at all. Um, I, I totally agree uh, with all that I was very excited when um, well when Samara Weaving came out because I, I saw him ready or not and I loved that movie um, but yeah the the choice because I think it is very heavily implied at the well, it's not even implied, but at the end of the first one, when you see them as babies introduced as little Bill and little Ted, my brain instantly went to, oh, these are like parallel boys. And then yeah. when, and so when like 10 years later, when I watched the third one and they said they were daughters, it it made perfect sense, but it was just something I'd never really considered before. Um, I think that's really um, just an interesting how they did that. Um, I also like to, oh, sorry. I, I also think it's really interesting the way that they deal with masculinity in the third one too, uh, because, you know, they, Bill and Ted go to couples therapy with their wives and it's not something that, you know, 
there's a big trope around, oh, men don't go to therapy. They don't want to talk about their feelings, but Bill and Ted are really like, they want to do good. They want to do really well in therapy and they want to make their wives happy. And that is just so sweet. And it really breaks down these barriers, especially with Keanu Reeves, because he's kind of is this figure of this really like masculine, um, male, male, male type of figure, like, um, What's that movie that he's in? John Wick. Yeah, John Wick. Um, so, and then to have him like be like, oh, I just really want to make make my wife happy. And I just, you know, want her to love me and I'm going to do what she wants to make her happy. And then that will make me happy. And it was just very sweet to kind of break down those barriers of toxic masculinity, especially in rock and roll. Um, and then to just have this really lovely, nice perspective of masculinity. And on the other side of that, I um, really liked how the princesses were framed in the third one, particularly because uh, in the first one, I don't think they even had names. They had maybe two lines. And then mm. the second they had kind of, uh, they had, I think they were given names and had a couple more things to do. But by the third one, they are kind of uh, the opposites of Bill and Ted. They they attend the marriage counseling sessions and they end up going on their own kind of off-screen adventure. It's, it's a shame that it's all kind of happens off to the side a bit. But I think it's definitely interesting how their roles have kind of grown uh, throughout the franchise. Yeah, I... I... There's definitely um, nothing wrong with having a male-centered film, but it's nice to have a reminder that like women aren't just waiting at home for the men to finish whatever amazing journey they're on. Like they, they have the ability themselves to go and do exciting things. And I mean, the, the daughters themselves are exciting and driven and it's great to see Bill and Ted doing these fun things, but also the women around them be, the, the filmmakers obviously thought about them and didn't want to, keep them at home and have them non-interesting characters because they knew it's not just men out there who watch films who want to make it interesting for the women too. I think it is definitely, I, I totally agree. And I think it's definitely to the film's kind of uh, favour how just the multiple plots, uh, there's like the first films very much are Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted, Bill and Ted. And then by the third, you've got um, Bill and Ted and the princess is doing their thing and uh, Billy and Thea on their adventure and all these kind of interweaving storylines. It just feels like a much more structured film, in my opinion, and a lot more kind of fulfilling by the end of it. Very quickly, um, Bill and Ted's characters very much shift uh, between in the 20 year gap from kind of goofy prodigies to kind of more optimistic failures. Um, Do you feel this has any kind of wider cultural motives behind this change or? I think it's, kind of nice and I think so the American dream is very well known and uh, I think when they were younger back in the 80s they were optimist or goofy prodigies and we liked that because there was the idea that oh they're silly but they'll do amazing things and now that they're older and they've kind of not they've not found the perfect song yet it's a bit hard for people to see sometimes because we all want to believe if we try hard enough we'll get there and we'll achieve it like by the time we're 30 or something. And I think seeing that they still aren't there at the age they're at, it's kind of nice and comforting. <laughs> and I know that sounds weird, but it genuinely is because like we can't all be expected to become billionaires by the time we're 45 with a doting wife who you see one hour a day because you're working the rest of the time. Like you, you've got to balance and choose what you want and they seem to have balanced being fathers and I was going to say wives, but no, they are husbands. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, the American dream isn't realistic and you've got to pick and choose what's most important to you. And uh, excuse me if I'm wrong, Shelby, but 
to me, it seems from what I've seen in films and TV that America kind of wants you to to have the best of both worlds when for some people they can achieve that and it's great for them, but realistically, you've got to give up something to have something else. And it sets these unrealistic expectations that sort of, especially you, they see this a lot in our generation where there's so much anxiety around having to have everything by the time you're 25 and being Mm -hmm. successful and having that six figure job. And, you know, there's so much pressure and expectation that causes so much mental issues, especially in America, because we're so high intense society. We're just so wound up. So it, you said it perfectly, Alex, it it just really is very sweet to, to see like, you know, being not achieving the perfect life that you envision for yourself and not saving the world, quote unquote, is what they want to do, but they still have a very nice life and they're still happy with the life they have. You know, when they go to the future and they see that they're not with their wives anymore and that, you know, they're becoming alcoholics and they're not happy and they really take in, they're like, you know, that this is what's important to us is our family and being able to just make the music that we like and just to rock out. And that's what makes us happy. And, you know, that's so, so endearing. And like, you don't have to save the world in order to be successful in life. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you're interested in reading similar content or wish to learn more about Film East and the Young Film Programmers, consider visiting our website at film-east.com. Or if you want to try your hand at contributing to our film and television blog, visit film-east.com submissions for more information. You can follow us on any of our social media, at film underscore east. Again, we're Film East, a Norwich-based young film programming group supported by Real Connections and part of Film Hub Southeast and the BFI Fan Network.